Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. How's it going, Andy? It's good. How are you doing? Good. We just uh, talk about anything that we were just doing or not? I mean, not in detail, I know, but we just spent we just spent the last week and a half working on a panel show pilot thing. Is it a panel show? Would you call it a panel show? I would. Is my phone ringing? Where is that? I, I don't know, but sound. it's sort of mysterious, right? It's a pleasant boom, ring. Boom, Let me go boom. find that. It's a bit Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Is it, is it is it is that my imagination or is it the same tone as the cutesy bit before the terrifying bit in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? I don't know. I think it's it's just a standard. It's one of the options, but it was the least uh, panic attack inducing because for the last yeah. five years or so, I've kept my phone on Do Not Disturb basically always. Mm. I reached this level of stress. Wait, is that the one where like they can't call you? Yeah, but the secret is if they call twice within five minutes, it breaks through it. Yeah. So now everyone listens knows that so i don't scream my calls to be an asshole but there was just a year of producing bridgetown that i reached this stress level where like the sound of my phone really? ringing would because uh, you're just at the mercy of this fucking device anybody can monopolize your time whenever they i mean it's not a problem if you have a normal job but that and then i was like okay i'm just leaving it and do not disturb indefinitely because this is great yeah. and you look at your phone often enough anyway like if someone right. calls i'm going to see it within five minutes because i'll look at my phone for a different reason i can call them back but then when i have it on i have it to that ringtone because it doesn't make me you know, it's nice. Okay. It was way more than... Okay. Too much information. I get it. I, I get it. That out. I think we've it. got a guest, cut. Andy. We do. We do. <laughs> All the way from... Besides Andy's panic <sighs> and anxiety. All the way from Austin, Texas. Yeehaw. In town Nobody for one that. podcast <laughs> and then straight back to... Straight back. Straight back on the Greyhound. No, I live here kind of now. Hey, I'm Kay Paulson. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, guys, I have 10 more minutes about ringtones. You guys want to hear it? I kind of I do. would love to. Yeah. I kind of want to... Can we do uh, demonstrations of ringtones and see? A little demonstration? Yeah. Do uh, you still... Do you have the crazy frog? Because that was a fun one. Oh, my God. Was that a contemporary of, like, the um, dancing baby? Was that a, one of the early gifts that went viral? <laughs> like, what is the crazy frog? I know, I know of it, but I don't... Uh, it was a... I think it was originally called something like Annoying Sound. Oh. Uh, but... I know in Britain, not only was it a ringtone and animation, but also had a spin-off novelty single that may oh. have... <laughs> the, 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 it charted very high. It might have even... Uh, hang on. On the novelty singles charts. I miss right? those days. The one that, like, Boogie in Your Butt by Eddie Murphy was on? Uh, if by the novelty singles charts, you mean the actual singles <laughs> charts. <laughs> uh, it, it, well, it's funny you mentioned Eddie Murphy because the single was basically that noise over Axel F. No, really? <laughs> it was. Did you, did you uh, there we go. I was correct. Up? It was the Crazy Frog, originally known as the Annoying Thing, oh, is a computer animated Axel, character. Axel F, is that the... And it was marketed by the ringtone Jamba, later known as Jamster. The animation was originally created to accompany a sound effect produced by Daniel Malmedal in 97, attempting to imitate the sound of a two-stroke engine. Uh, the, the Crazy Frog spawned a worldwide hit single with a remix of Axel F, which reached the number one spot in Turkey, <laughs> New Zealand, Australia, and most of Europe. Mm -hmm. The subsequent album 
Crazy Frog Presents Crazy Hits, and the second single, Popcorn, also enjoyed worldwide chart success. And a second album <laughs> entitled Crazy Frog Presents More Crazy Hits was released in 2006. Also spawned a range of merchandise, toys, and two video games. I gotta say, like, the actual, like, the Axel F is shitty, but if you ever saw Crazy Frog's MTV Unplugged, that was actually... <laughs> <laughs> It was kind of like there was a depth to the crazy right, frog. Right, stripped down crazy frog, getting real with some candles around. Yeah, and like a Bowie cover. <laughs> it, was, it was actually just really like it, people don't know most of the songs were Meat Puppet songs. Actually, <laughs> it's really obscure stuff. But um, yeah, so anybody who thinks Europe, by the way, this is a good thing to throw back in the face of anybody who's judging America right now for what we're going through, because you guys fucking took Crazy Frog to number one. Yes, we elected Trump, but yeah. you guys decided that somebody doing an impression of a two-stroke engine set to an 80s uh, buddy cop. I have to hear this now. Is there any... Okay, I I was resisting it for the sake of our listeners, particularly the ones in many of the countries in which it charted. By the way, it did chart in America as well, but it only reached... On the overall billboard, it only reached 50, but it reached like seven on the dance club. But it hit number one in, amongst others, Britain, uh, Spain, Sweden, Norway, New Zealand... Denmark. What year was this? 2006? 2003. 2003. Uh, not only that, it, in New Zealand, it was the biggest song. Oh, no, hang on. It was in the charts in 2005. So crazy. Okay. The, the thing came out in 2003, and I guess it gathered enough momentum by 05 to really hit it in the music charts. I was going to say, if that was in 03, if that was number one, and there's like displacing like hey yeah or genuinely great song from 2003 then i was gonna be like fuck that but it did it was the third most popular song in 2005 in britain and the number one most popular song in australia and oh that's crazy new zealand i don't i don't know what the top two is the number one in 2005 i was gonna try i have to not say that uh here's the sample from wikipedia oh god Ha <laughs> ha yes! Yes! <laughs> oh, I remember this. When does the craziness start? Oh, wait. Oh, but it was th- just about to. That was the actual crazy. Bing. Yeah, it I was, remember it now. Yeah. It was about, yeah. It, it was about to. You were about to get the craziness. It was very Pitbull esque, also. I, I loved like. it. I was actually in Australia in like 2004. You were there for Crazy Frog? I must have been. But you don't remember hearing that? At the I do before? now. I kind of do now that we're talking about it. Now that I've heard it. Crazy Frog. Uh, yeah, he was the original. <laughs> Why would you even call that a... F- you're making that noise... Why do you then go? Yeah, that's what that's a frog. If you're picking the character that you're, that's going, it was a come. Yeah, um, so that was that was Britain in the early 2000s. Well, it was a really fun time to be around. A lot of people had that as their ringtone. Uh, it was you know it's just one of those cool things you have. Same like, country that brought us the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're the kind of guy who you know really has that Borat impression nailed down, <laughs> if you've outgrown the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, <laughs> mature a little bit. This has been probably ringtones. I like it. 
hey, uh, we're, we're with a high school valedictorian, apparently. We no, just, graduate school valedictorian. A graduate school. And it valedictorian. it wasn't valedictorian. Commencement speech? It's not. Oh, I don't know what I was commencement terms speaker. Okay. I was commencement speaker at my graduate school. So what does that involve? And what was your grad? What was your graduate thing in? I got a master's degree in public affairs, which is like a public policy degree from okay. the University of Texas. So I went to the LBJ School of Public uh, Affairs, which is like... The Kennedy School in Harvard, but at UT, it's right. the same. It's a. It's in this. I mean, it's not as good as Kennedy, but it is the same kind of program. It's it's the school that picked up for after Harvard got shot. Yeah, Harvard, exactly. Uh, after Kennedy. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. So, yeah. But LBJ was a good president, except for Vietnam. There, there was that blemish. Yeah, <laughs> there, was there was that, that little, little smudge. Smidgy smudge, but I was commencement speaker at my grad at my graduate school graduation two years ago this May. Congrats! And I did Affordable Care Act jokes. I crushed. I destroyed most people I've <laughs> Do you ever. Remember any of those? I I did a joke that was like, so it's like kind of like I mean, all the students are generally not all of them, but most of them are kind of progressive Democrats. But then a lot of the families are like Texans, and so they're you know. So I did a joke about the Affordable Care Act that was like when I. Uh, was giving the speech I wanted to do something uh, that was meaningful and people uh, wanted but then also that some people would laugh at so I was just going to read part of the Affordable Care Act it crushed it was such a good joke <laughs> literally read part of it yeah <laughs> oh I'm sorry no, 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 that, that was the joke I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah I'm so dense yeah I'm so dense. <laughs> what was my, I had some other good jokes about brunch I did a whole whole little little thing on Thanks for coming to graduation and not going to brunch today. <laughs> Brunching's big down there too. Oh yeah, it's Brunching's a big brunch town. Big yeah. town, big brunch towns. So if you, you were public policy by the time you were at grad school, what was your uh, what if anything was your background in science? Well, so I worked in politics for like six. Well, I worked in 2008 after I finished school. I worked uh, for the North Carolina Democratic Party, and then I ended up working in Congress for several years, uh, and I worked with a. I mean, I did various things, but amongst them supported a lot of the staff and the woman I worked for was on the transportation committee. So I would do transportation stuff. This was also when the healthcare debate was going on. So I was doing a lot of like, I was like a special assistant legislative correspondent type. So I did a lot of like, like writing to constituents about what's going on and with healthcare. Anyway, long story short, uh, I thought I kind of want to, and I still kind of do want to pursue a career in policy in some way. I don't know. But when I was in graduate school, my big focus was like energy and technology policy. And I wrote a big final paper on energy storage and policy measures that could be done to encourage energy storage. Well, that is something that's come up. A few people who were emailing us in a couple of weeks ago, because one of the stories of massive cuts in the new trump budget is mm-hmm. to various scientific research oh right yeah it's i mean it's public horrible health. it's very sad what did you think could be done to uh, governmentally to encourage developments in storage well i mean you i mean well first of all it's uh, i think a lot of the the energy storage stuff relates to like um climate policy especially as like renewables renewable energy resources so the idea was like if you if we really invest this much money in renewables we have to have a way to store them because it's not like these other it's not like a you know coal burning plant or something that you can kind of just like burn more when you need more right like yeah. the, the sun doesn't always shine the wind doesn't always blow so you have to have a way to kind of store these technologies and uh 
really like the technology is kind of getting there, but there's so much that needs to be done and figuring out ways to actually be able to store large amounts of energy that just still isn't there. And it's really like kind of interesting because as, as like we get more, like our phones get smaller and chips get smaller and things like that. Batteries actually are really bound by the laws of nature. Like there's, Mm -hmm. you know, they can't get much smaller than what they already are and so they kind of have to figure out ways around that and so that's why like elon musk a few years ago he had that power pack yeah there was like this big thing that but i don't think it's really come through because i don't know that the technology is even quite there yet but i mean there's no doubt that is the that is one of the most important oh for sure for, for the future of energy yeah that's i think that's why they're making all these moves that they're making and yeah we just was it two weeks ago or last week we talked about a big breakthrough in in battery storage Battery capacity, yeah, there, there are like there are occasional breakthroughs, and a lot of them seem to involve things like using capacitor technology rather than battery right. technology. And there's there's stories, semi regular stories about like this will be the breakthrough that'll revolutionize mm-hmm. batteries. And there was one that involved glass rather than oh, lithium ion. But, but none I don't of them have been like none of them been like a, a doubling. None of them have been a huge. Uh, or maybe actually the one last week might have been. God, I should remember my own podcast. Um, but yeah, it's going to take something that's that's like a order of magnitude right. jump in capacity to make a big dent. It seems. Like. So yeah, so I think that the policy measures that were kind of being proposed is essentially just like really funding for more research and like energy storage areas, yeah. and like that's one of the ways the government can actually help is throw money at the problem, and hopefully more researchers will spring up that'll be doing it, but. Yeah, that's really all policy is, is throw money at the yeah, problem yeah, in I different ways or take it away or... Find the right people to get... Find the right people. Also, I mean, like, getting... Then you could also talk about, like, public sector. Like, I mean, I think a lot of the big oil companies see the writing on the wall that eventually they're really going to have to move from a less, like, oil-based economy, oil-based yeah. energy structure. Like, but no, they're no slow to do it. that it's a finite yeah. amount. Yeah, I like, I like how in general... Um, oil companies have started just advertising how green they are and how much they're investing mm-hmm. in renewable energy. It's like out of a mixture of just PR and terror. But also just market driven. Yes, of course you are like that. If you want to be a company that exists in a hundred years, you have mm-hmm. to be doing that. Yeah. yeah. Are you following much in the way of the Trump administration? I, I guess I mean are. a little bit, but I, I was, I, I really want to do a character. I think that I don't know, like something, a sketch or something of just like somebody that's just completely given up since Trump's become president. It's just like, yeah. just withers, you know, like doesn't even try anymore. Just overweight and yeah, sad oh, all the, the fact time. Trump's president. So I might as well just yeah, Trump's drink president, myself slowly to death. Why even bother doing yes, anything anymore? Stopped. Stopped using condoms. Just yeah, like, oh, exactly. Hey, exactly. Guys, smoke, smoke just a heroin needle hanging yeah. out of your arm at all times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I haven't been following. I mean, I did a little bit, uh, but I think we're, I mean, I just anybody, I don't, I mean, I don't know how many coal people you have listening, but I just. Coal people? Like made of coal? No, like people that are like big into like re- rebooting the coal industry and like every, it comes up every eight years and it's like it's, your coal's not coming back it's re- clean coal's not coming <laughs> back there is no such thing as clean no coal. such thing yeah. as a future of coal like, also all these i wonder how many of these kind of jobs when they get brought up it's not even anybody who's 
not, not only no one who works in the industry now, it's, it's people who never even did, but we all have this collective memory of that being a great American job. Right. I don't, like, with, like, that's what boggles my mind. Is that really what you want to go back to? <laughs> like your dad's hunching over in like coal mines? But I mean, I know it's much dad, more. Sim- but it was just a story like from a different part yeah. of the country that you're imagining it equals the heartland, equals like the, the golden era of. <laughs> this is kind of sciencey. What was that one movie? It had Jake Gyllenhaal in it where he was like learning to like make rockets. Oh, yeah. And he was October, like in West Virginia. October Sky? I think December Sky? Some, December, some something, yeah. Sky, a September to remember sales, sales event? <laughs> Fort Truckman. Fort yeah. <laughs> uh, I, that's what I think of when I think of coal miners is like they were in West Virginia or wherever they were. And yeah. they're like, the dad's Sky. like, there's always like slides and thing. people are dying in the mines. Right, and like. Right. Yeah, we want more of that. We want more jobs where yeah. you have to keep a bird down where you work to know if the earth yeah, is the exactly. dies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was a biographical film based on the true story of Homer H. Hickam Jr., a coal miner's son who was inspired by the launch of Sputnik in 1957 to take up rocketry against his father's wishes and mm-hmm. eventually became a NASA engineer. Maybe one of these boys can get out with a sports scholarship, but that's it. <laughs> I remember that line in the movie. <laughs> and he proved him wrong because he was making rockets. I also used to love making rockets as a kid. Did y'all ever do that? Yeah, I, model I, rockets. I never did. Oh, it's the best. You should do that on a pot. We should just make a model rocket one time. I don't know where you'd launch them in the greater LA area. I feel like you'd get in trouble. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very Midwestern. You've got to have open fields. I think someone's going to call somebody if they see something. Well, it's more about learning how to right. design yeah. a rocket, you know? But I mean, was there much design? It was really gluing a couple parts together. Yeah, that, I mean, it's the, like, yeah, you have like a tube and the basic then a, like a cone. thing was that cylinder of fuel yeah. that would just. <laughs> yeah, you did have to like, they had like these, what are like, I don't know, like something, it was like a. I don't, like it wasn't, it's like battery shaped in size, but it's like hollow, and that's what burns and shoots it into the air. And so you actually had to make the thing that holds that kind of like, and that was always kind of tricky. I think. Did you ever have the ones that had the packed parachutes? And yeah, the I love those. Yeah, I guess yeah. they all had parachutes. Cause otherwise, you yeah. Have, but some but if they like, went up a certain height, they had a, a parachute. Yeah. I think there's one that I had that had like a clear section in the um, shaft. Is that what you call it yeah. of the rocket? <laughs> Uh, that was like for payload and fuselage. Fuselage, sure. That's probably the better. Yeah, I had a clear this is section a science of podcast. The fuselage. <laughs> and it was like advertising how you could put payloads in there, like, but to what end? Like, they aren't going yeah. to the moon, they're coming Wait. back down again. The only cool thing I could think of would be like a live small animal. And yeah. of course, that's, I never did it, but I'm like, there's no way people, at least 30% of the people who bought this thing put a hamster in that thing. There's no oh, possible hamster. way that's, that's not what's happening. Um, by the way, this reminded me, the October Sky thing. I think at some point we talked about the Radioactive Boy Scout on this show, didn't we, Matt? Uh, we did. We definitely did. Did we talk about him dying back in September? No. A radioactive Boy Scout. He's what's no longer story? with us. He made it to 39. Um, he, I'm surprised I didn't hear about this. He was in Michigan and close to my age, so he was doing this around the same time I was in high school. Um, he created a reactor. He was a Boy Scout, fascinated by chemistry. His name's David Hahn, and he spent years conducting amateur chemistry experiments, which sometimes caused small explosions and other mishaps. He was inspired by, uh, uh, in part by reading the Golden Book of Chemistry Experiments and tried to collect samples. And Steve Urkel for every- Family Matters? Yeah. <laughs> That's what this sounds like. Uh, he tried to collect samples of every element in the periodic table, including the radioactive ones. He later received a merit badge in atomic energy and became fascinated with the idea of creating a breeder reactor in his home, 
Han diligently amassed radioactive material by collecting small amounts from household products such as americium, americium, I always forget how to pronounce that, uh, from smoke detectors, thorium. Uh, Middle known fact, it's named after the country we're in right now. Uh, thorium from Camping Lantern top TV star America Ferrera. <laughs> yeah, it's named, um, it's named for America. It's named Vespucci. after Italian map maker America Vespucci. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he got radium from clocks. He got tritium from gun sites, and his reactor was a bored-out block of lead. He used lithium from a thousand dollars worth of purchased batteries to purify the thorium ash using a Bunsen burner. He posed as an adult scientist or high school teacher to gain the trust of many professionals in letters and succeeded despite misspellings and obvious errors. Oh, Lord. He ultimately hoped to create a breeder reactor using low-level isotopes to transform Wait, what's samples. a breeder reactor? Uh, it is... I'm clicking on a Wikipedia link. A breeder reactor. It's a nuclear reactor that generates more fissile material than it consumes. Oh, so it's like the... What is that called? Uh, like the... Reaches a chain reaction point? I don't, I don't know what you were going for there. Or what I was. Yeah, I don't either. What's the thing where you like are constantly like? It's isn't it impossible to create more energy than you? Yeah, you don't create more than yeah. You don't create more energy because the energy is always coming from the uh, the atoms themselves, um, but generates more fissile material than it consumes. So yeah, they, they achieve that because their neutron economy is high enough to breed more fissile fuel than they burn than they use from fertile material hmm. such as uranium two thirty eight or thorium two thirty two. Um, this could go down. This, I like this, my this women like I like my uranium two hundred and thirty two. Anyway, so he tried to make this thing, and he got people to believe that he was older by writing letters, even though they were poorly written. Um, the reactor he was making never came anywhere near critical mass, but it ended up emitting dangerous levels of radiation, likely well over a thousand times normal background radiation. Uh, so he started dismantling experiments because he was scared, but in a chance encounter, police discovered his activities, which triggered a federal radiological emergency response <laughs> involving the FBI and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And in June of 1985, the EPA designated Han's mother's property a Superfund hazardous materials cleanup site dismantled the shed and its contents and buried them as low-level radioactive waste in Utah. Unknown to officials, his mother, fearful she would lose her house if the full extent of the radiation were known, had already collected the majority of the radioactive material and thrown it away in the conventional garbage. And uh, they refused medical evaluation for radiation exposure. But if you Google him, you'll see some pretty rough-looking mug shots, which oh, might be more meth-related than radiation. Meth? Um, was that a thing, too? Was there, Somebody needs to he, write a, like a biopic of this Well, he, he died. His death last year was not related to radiation. It was alcohol poisoning. So he had, he had a lot of things going on. Mom was a drinker. Yeah. <laughs> David Hahn was his name. Yeah. Oh. So uh, R.I.P., David. You shot for the stars, and... Um, you landed, landed amongst, amongst the uranium. The, <laughs> That's what he looked like in his younger Boy Scout days. Oh, he looks like a nice... Is this him older? Yeah, that's not a good look, right? That's terrifying. That look does look more methy, really. Yeah, that doesn't look like radiation poisoning. <laughs> that looks like... Yeah, that's not... Drugs. So, yeah, he was in Clinton Township, Michigan. Well, that's um, sad if he was that smart and he could have done all that stuff and then he died of drug and alcohol poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just surprised it never, I guess it wasn't widely reported when it actually happened in the mid nineties. So I was already out of there by the time it, uh, and I think there's been, what have the main things been that covered? There was a, 
Harper's article about it. I think there was another. Oh, there's a, two, there's a book put out in 2004 called The Radioactive Boy Scout <laughs> about this gentleman. I thought it was coincidental. I thought it was just a different book about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, I th- you know you know what is a a good thing to happen to the body, but does take real science. Um, involving. Oops. Oh, well, you could, we could do that story. I was going to go with the Leaf Heart story, but fine. Oh, yeah, let's no, go, no, no, let's no, go no, boobs. No, no, no. Let's, we, could, we could tease the boobs. Boobs will come back later. So let us forget to circle back this, on the boobs. This is a medical story that was sent in. Loads of people sent in. Eric Boisberg, Julian Alberto, Will Davis, uh, Holly Gabrielson from Nevada, uh, Colorado. Uh, and uh, did Justin Broad send it in as well? Justin sent in a lot of stories That's this week. Safe to assume. Um, spinach leaf. Uh, spinach leaf transformed into beating human heart tissue. Using the plant-like scaffolding, t- scientists built a mini version of a working heart, which may one day aid in tissue regeneration. Um, they found a way to use spinach to build working human heart muscle, potentially solving a long-standing problem in efforts to repair damaged organs. Uh, the study, published in the journal Biomaterials, offers a new way to grow a vascular system, which has been a roadblock for tissue engineering. The scientists have already created large-scale human tissue in a lab using methods like 3D printing, but it's been much harder to grow the small, delicate blood vessels that are vital to tissue health. The main limiting factor for tissue engineering is the lack of vascular network, says study go- co-author Joshua Gershlak. Um Without that vascular network, you get a lot of tissue death. One of the defining traits of a leaf is the branching network of thin veins that delivers water and nutrients to its cells. Now, scientists have used plant veins to replicate the way blood moves through human tissue. The work involves modifying a spinach leaf in the lab to remove its plant cells, which leaves behind a frame made of cellulose. Oh, that's cool. That makes sense. All right. Cellulose is biocompatible and has been used in a wide variety of regenerative medicine applications such as cartilage tissue engineering, bone tissue engineering, and wound healing. The t- uh, say the authors. The team then bathed the remaining plant frame in live human cells so the human tissue grew on the spinach scaffolding and surrounded the tiny veins. Once they transformed the spinach leaf into a sort of mini heart, the team sent fluids and microbeads through its vein to show that blood cells can flow through the system. I think you're not meant to use microbeads anymore because it gets into the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of unethical of those. (laughs) Like, you're meant to, like, avoid face scrubs that have microbeads in them. So fuck you, scientists. I think scrubbing bubbles (laughs) are also problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. But also, great. Well done, you scientists. Uh, The eventual goal is to be able to replace damaged tissue in patients who have had heart attacks or have suffered other cardiac issues that prevent their hearts from contracting. Like blood vessels, the veins in the modified leaves would deliver oxygen to the entire swathe of replacement tissue, which is crucial in generating new heart matter. Hmm. Um, The study team says the same methods could be used with different types of plants to repair a wide variety of tissues in the body. For example, swapping out the cells in wood might one day help fix human bones. Hmm. I guess... Yeah, because the spinach leaves, that's not my definition of... Uh, strength. When I think of spinach leaves, I don't think robust thing that I want replacing yeah. human tissue. Hmm. You could, like you sort of end up with sort of the George Washington's teeth version of yeah bones. Hmm. Uh, hmm. So yeah, uh, that's story. 
And it's kind of related, really, if we want to get into boob talk. If we want to go straight from hearts to boobs. By the way, you should visit probablyscience.com, our Squarespace-powered site, where we list these articles, uh, because this one has some cool videos of this, um, I mean, honestly, a little creepy-looking um, al- albino spinach leaf that then becomes flush with, um, with blood. And I think this is probably problematic for vegetarians, right? Do you eat uh, a spinach leaf full of blood? If it's on the plate, it, it depends whose blood it whose is, blood, right? If it's your own blood, <laughs> and how it's why. been obtained. Yeah. <laughs> if if the spinach is killed with a rabbi present, is this like those experiments where you put the flour in like uh, water that's like been f- with it, food it coloring? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of re- oh, that is crazy. MK, the video here. Oh, that's how did they get that clear uh, spinach leaf? They made it see through by, um, yeah, removing the plant cells, leaving it just this frame of cellulose. And that's also kind of similar to this story that was also sent in by multiple people who know the podcast well enough to know that obviously we're going to talk about 3D printing and boobs. <laughs> uh, 3D printed breast implant lattice could revolutionize cancer reconstructive surgery. Sure does, Christopher Cooper, who sent it in. Thank you for that. By the way, you can always email probablyscience at gmail.com or tweet at probablyscience to send in story suggestions. Uh, French researchers, French researchers, have won a prize for their innovative use of 3D printing to create a breast implant for cancer reconstruction surgery. They won it from Penthouse. <laughs> I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> so, what is uh, the project coined Matisse was carried out by Julianne Payen. Actually, sorry. in Teen Vogue right now, <laughs> they're doing the hard hitting. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm Teen Vogue is, didn't they? Well, they were the ones that broke the. Uh, what was the one story that they like really? Russian bro- spies. Yeah, like something like this. Bananas. Anyway, the hard hitting editorialism of Teen. That Vogue. is the future of of journalism. Yeah, it's like BuzzFeed is going to bring down the mm-hmm. uh, the project called Matisse. With one of the T's in parentheses, I, I don't know if that's a. I don't get if there's a second meaning to that. But uh, it was carried out by Julien Payen and Pierre-Marie Dans um, at Lille One University. And uh, they had funding from other places. Uh, the project involved 3D printing an absorbable shell-like structure that can safely contain injected fatty tissues. The process is essentially a combination of the two current reconstruction techniques of lipofilling and silicone, I assume silicone, not silicon, implantation. Matisse has the potential to provide a more natural end result and mitigate current methods, which could be costly and dangerous for the patient. So the standard treatments for breast reconstruction surgery now involve implanting, I keep saying silicone, it's got to be silicone, silicone prosthesis. Is that an English British thing? No, silicone is, is a completely separate thing. That's a oh, right. Silicone like is yeah, a plastic. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, like silicon is like, <laughs> semiconductors and sand, right? Um, glass. Uh, so yeah, the silicone prostheses can have um, their own problems, such as foreign body reactions. Alternatively, lipofilling is used with autologous tissue; those replaced from the patient, like fat moved from one part of the body to another. Um, however, that can be dangerous and complex to get the tissue to grow in the right places. And despite that, autologous tissue implantation is the most ideal as it is more natural. So this process combines the desirable aspects of the two current processes. By using that 3D printing, they can um, not have to use silicone implants and then they can inject that autologous adipose tissues, that is uh, individual fat cells, into that shell. And the idea is the fat cells will use that, that lattice as a support to maintain and multiply and reform the breast. So it'll be your own fat moved from a different part of your body 
and then attaching itself to this this framework that they've 3D printed. I guess that is kind of similar story. They're connected stories. I, yeah, I call them sister yeah. stories. I mean, if, if instead of 3D printing, they had taken a, like a vegetable's breast and taken all the plant yeah. cells out of that spinach boob. Like, say, a melon. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like a watermelon rind. Decellularize that and then inject some, some of your own fat. Um, so, yeah, using that 3D printed shell in combination with um, a Calais Caudry lace, the desired volume can similarly be achieved. The 3D printed shell and lace is made up of bioabsorbable materials with MRI scans used to define the shape and size of the structure. So they say it'll take up to seven years to optimize this product for market, but in the meantime, patients a patient has been filed by CHRU Lille, the duo have also formed Lattice Medical, which is the business that intends to bring the solution to market. Hmm. So cool. Better uh, reconstructive boobs that you won't reject. And um, here's the niche. I did it. So when I was in graduate school, I did like uh, a lot of not research, but I basically took a class on dis- like distribution of innovations and kind of like how something like this diffuses in our society and how long it takes to be adopted. I wonder how long... Any kind of, like, medical advance or, or just... Yeah, I mean, it's it's everything. You know, they always call it, like, the S-curve. So, it's originally there's, like, early adopters, and then generally it'll pick up, and then it slows down, and so they always call it, like, it looks like an S. Yeah. Like, yeah. how quickly it's adopted across. But I wonder... And so, then there's different fields. So, like, you know, obviously something like Uber, it went very fast. Like, the S-curve was very steep, and yeah. I just wonder what, like, medical technologies like this, like, how do you even, like, start getting that to, to be diffused amongst... I mean, I bet... Uh, I mean, it's not, like, a thing where you can just decide you love it enough that you're going to jump ahead of the right. F- FDA approval. Or right, right. Well, they said it's already seven years. I mean, yeah, that's a long yeah. time. So I think once it's approved, well, then again, who wants to be the first one to get any procedure, right? Yeah. It's uh, unless it's like a life-threatening thing, or like you're no, you're already dying, right? Like I, you would maybe take a trial drug. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, kind yeah, of a yeah. hail mary pass. Yeah, yeah. If, if the option is, if the current technology is, you're going to die. I guess some trial boobs. Trial boobs. Just try them out. You know, if it was like life or death, it was <laughs> yeah. emergent. Right. But this is for mostly for cancer, like breast cancer. Right. This is for reconstructive but, I mean, purposes. Yeah. But then I guess Presumably. like a, <laughs> Yeah. Well, like like a lot of plastic surgery was, like I, you know what? I'm repeating something that I heard, but I this seems plausible. But a lot of plastic surgery was developed in military uh, situations by like reconstruction after various war and battle injuries yeah that makes mm. sense but then has found its way into mainstream cosmetic surgery mm-hmm. a lot of those techniques uh yeah the first nose job was uh i don't know well it's amazing how much of these technologies <laughs> yeah, a joke whatever yeah you get it i uh, mean so much of this was <laughs> like <get> originally funded <laughs> by like military research or like government research or something like that like yeah well yeah secret stuff like the first uh breast reconstruct the well the first breast surgery at all there was a plan they did it i mean it was done on animals obviously originally but the plan was basically to give high-ranking nazis boobs overnight. yeah today so, so as to remove their credibility i thought it was just that people would be distracted oh yeah they would still respect yeah. them but it was just like my eyes is up here my organs sit here you know oh god damn it imagine uh you know imagine how how much less credibility hitler would have if he's giving his speeches and you know he's very he was very active and 
<laughs> mobile. He didn't on the drink, stage. right? Like he didn't imagine, drink. Yeah. He was a vegetarian. Imagine while he was gesticulating. Imagine if he was just jiggling, jiggling all over the place. Yeah. Beautiful rack. What's just the German word for cleavage? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I could. Ain't that just nicht gut? I know. I was a German major in college. I actually Wait, worked what? at the yeah. Well, so undergrad, I was a linguistics major, okay. German and Spanish it was kind of my focus. But then I did like other stuff. But then I actually worked at the U.S. Embassy in Berlin for like six months. Oh, I was gonna say I did yeah, a graduate do, in- internship um, there. Well, he, wanna, oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. Now, what were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say, do you want to uh, do either of those things? Do you see yourself ever going back to use either? I those, don't know. You know, things? when I finished school, I was like, I'm really all in on comedy. But then. Lately, I've been like, oh, I need to do something that actually matters to the world. Or, I mean, I don't know what the German stand-up comedy market is like, but do you have an edge? Could you go over there and break ahead? You know, that it, it is very different. I Like, I when I was there, I was actually doing stand-up a lot, and they have a really cool scene, an English-speaking comedy scene. I've kicked in Germany. Oh, really? You've, have you done Berlin? Uh, I think I did Berlin once. Do you uh, know what show you did? I can't remember which show that was. Was it called We Are Not Gemused? No, it was It was not. <laughs> it's gemused is the word. Gemuse is the word for vegetable. But oh, it was German. a mixed variety show, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I did a gig that was just pure English speaking in Munich. Yeah, I never went to Munich and did comedy there. Uh, but there, American, there is like a, American there, military audiences or just like expats just in lo- I mean, There's loads of expats. I think Berlin, there might be some military so many people. English speakers in Berlin. I mean, yeah. Like everybody. And then like I would do hostels and stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, there were, the gig I did, it was basically a bar show, but you know, maybe 100, 150 people in there. Maybe even not that many. Um, and the audience was a mix of native English speakers yeah. and then a few Germans who spoke good enough English to follow a comedy show. Right. But uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I was doing comedy there, I realized when I came back, when I went back to Austin, I, my comedy had changed so much. It'd become much more physical and oh. much more because like when there's a lot of people that speak some English, but maybe not as their first language, I, I like, you can't really get into super specific idioms or like do yeah. pl- yeah. twists and plays it's on words. Of, it's kind of interesting though. Cause some in, in, in a way it restricts you, but sometimes that restriction is good cause it can, um, make sure, um, like you can, it focuses what you're talking about right? and stops you from using the certain things flowery right. linguistic tricks as a crutch. Yeah. Right. Not that those aren't also very... Right, I was going to say, one man's crutch is another man's like trademark. Yeah, though, I mean, there are people who use, just are you thinking, like, for example, someone like Patton Oswalt, who has such great choice of phrase and that's so much of yeah. what makes him very good as a comedian. But there is something about taking that away from you for even just for a night or so, just to focus on, hang on, is the core concept behind this bit genuinely funny or interesting or surprising? Right. Or am I just tricking an audience into laughing at it with pyrotechnics yeah yeah uh and the american sense i noticed i think that the american sense of comedy and and i mean i think we kind of follow the brits a little bit too like the like the sense of sarcasm like the germans just don't do sarcasm like we do yeah it's a different it's it's kind of a lot i don't know like i don't want to so german stereotype (laughs) german people but yeah generally like if you did start like jokes that were sarcastic they kind of didn't land as well. So German Tinder isn't full of people saying, I speak fluent sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> no. I love hiking. Uh, but why would you say that if you don't mean that? <laughs> um, I looked up cleavage on Google Translate, but here's the problem. I don't think yeah, the word, that, I don't think any of the translations are actually boob cleavage. I think they're like cleavage, words meaning okay. the, uh, uh, like a division or split yeah. or a chasm. 
Yeah, it's it's a term in 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 uh, Spot, yeah in geology too, or in rocks, right? Like the yeah, or po- of, uh, of I would politics. I or, know. Yeah. My German's not that good. Splitting division. So, I mean, I think de Kluft, It might be das de Kluft. That sounds closer to the German, the French, right? De Kluft zwischen die uh, Titten. The Titten Kluft. The It's definitely all one word. Tit gap. The tit gap. Maybe. Do you, do you remember any other? I love. Who doesn't love German long words? Do you know any good German long words? Or or words that summarize a concept that would take a full sentence in English to say. You know, I don't remember them, but then when I see them, I, like I kind of know. But yeah, I mean, you can do that. Like, I don't know. Like, you can actually kind of make up some words. You know, like I don't know. Like you don't have to have spaces between things. You can just keep adding together a bunch of nouns and yeah, kind of the word a little bit. And like they do that too. Some you know. Kummerspeck. I t- think I talked about that a couple of years ago. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. The fat that you gained from emotional eating. Right? Yeah, Kummerspeck. Yeah, that's right. There's so much one. of this too, my grandparents are German. So like I like I I I hear it and understand it, but then I'm not always great at like like coming back with it. And especially like when I was in Germany, everybody speaks English. And yeah. so they always just want to speak English with you. So my, my German never really got beyond like a second, third grade level, you know, that's, even though I, I can, like that's most traveling is like, yeah. you think I'm going to go, I'm going to central America. I'm going to, but my Spanish is going to get better. It's like, yeah. well, nope, guess what? Everyone else is also capable of speaking English and they'd rather do that. Than you know, you know what you. Germans have done recently? What have they done recently? They fired up the world's largest artificial sun in a push for climate-friendly energy that in a story that was sent in by Justin Broad. Sounds like some super villainy. Scientists in Germany have flipped the switch on what is being described as the world's largest artificial sun, a device they hope will shed light on new ways of making climate-friendly fuels. It's a, it's a pun there. Shed light. Okay. Oh, yeah. I guess, I guess it is a pun. Um, the giant honeycomb-like setup of 149 spotlights, officially known as Synlight, that's S-Y-N light, like all one word. Synlight. In a... Synthetic light. In how, how would you pronounce this town? Jülich. Uh, Jülich. In Jülich. Which is about 30 kilometers west of Cologne. And it uses xenon, uh, xenon, depending on which country you're from, short arc lamps normally found in cinemas to stimulate. That was weird because I accidentally said simulate, yeah. uh, simulate rather than simulate, yeah. and I got stimulate. a car horn in the background. <laughs> like, correcting you. Like, it was like, wah, wah. <laughs> that's not the word. <laughs> to simulate natural sunlight that is often in short supply in Germany at this time of year by focusing the entire array on a single 20 by 20 centimeter spot scientists from the German aerospace center will be able to produce the equivalent to 10,000 times the amount of solar radiation that would normally shine on the same surface creating such furnace like conditions with temperatures of up to 3000 degrees C is key to testing novel ways of making hydrogen according to Bernard Hofschmidt the, uh, the Institute's director for solar research Many consider hydrogen to be the fuel of the future because it produces no carbon emissions when burned, meaning it does not add to global warming. But while hydrogen is the most common element in the universe, it is rare on Earth. One way to manufacture it is to split water into its two components, the other being oxygen, using electricity in a process known as electrolysis. But the Synlight researchers hope to bypass the electricity stage and instead use the immense heat generated by the experiment to set off a reaction to produce hydrogen fuel. 
Hmm. So Mr. Hoffman, right? Uh, Mr. Hoffman says the dazzling display was designed to take experiments done in smaller labs to the next level, adding that once researchers have mastered hydrogen-making techniques with the sunlight's 350 kilowatt array, the process could be scaled up tenfold on the Ooh. way to reaching a level fit for industry. This could take about a decade, say experts, if there is sufficient industry support. Hmm. So we'll be we'll be three years into having great boobs, right? And then. <laughs> And then suddenly they'll be able to get beautifully tanned. Beautiful. <laughs> at over, over 3,000 degrees. You just got to make sure you don't sit in it for more than a microsecond. Like some people want to stay alive long enough for the singularity when like humans and machines merge and you can live forever. I just want to make it 10 years just for some tan boots. Have you heard of this expression, uh, what is it, transhumanism? Yeah, yeah. Like, have y'all ever talked about that before? Where this idea that we're already kind of like a lot of the things we can't remember, we're already putting in our phones, we're and so we've already kind of passed. Already. Yeah, we're already kind of. Uh, I would listen to the live episode we did from Bridgetown three years ago with Amber Case. Good memory. I was trying to remember which year that was. Twenty. It was twenty fourteen. You think? Hmm. Uh, yeah, it was Amber Case, wasn't it? And Paul Provenza, I think. I'm just double checking. That's her name. But yeah. And then also listen to the episode we did with uh, Rick Rosner about uh, many things, but talked about yeah the singularity and uh, the future of the species and stuff. Hmm. May 18th, 2014, episode 115. Wow. Wow, y'all been doing this for a while. Cyborg a while. anthropologist, Amber Case. Cyborg anthropologist, that's great. We could also talk about the German, this is a fun German word, the Energiewende. Yeah, so it's the energy revolution in Germany. So oh. basically, Angela Merkel, she did this thing where she, like, one of her, like, big domestic policies was essentially switching Germany off of, like, coal or, like, coal and, like, fossil fuels to complete renewables. And they have, like, some just insane goal, like, 80%. And they've largely, like, I mean, they're on track to complete it and do mm-hmm. it. I mean, they're kind of the leaders in the world in that regard. But that's a fun one. And it's just a thing into. that the government could could prioritize, and then it'll happen. Yeah, and it's like not even nuclear. I mean, I think they've gotten rid of because Germans they had a big, you know, they the um, uh, the after the Japanese uh, what was it? What town was it in? The, Hiroshima. No. no. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the 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 the, um, the more recent. Yeah, Fukushima. Fukushima yeah. disaster. They uh, the Germans really like. I, it boggles my mind that like that really wasn't that big of a deal in America, right? Like uh-huh. we didn't really pick up on that. But the Germans, I mean, it, it occupied the press. Like they talked about it, and they essentially decided to shut down because of that all of their nuclear power plants. But wasn't that because of the tsunami? And the, Germany doesn't have a lot of coastline that's susceptible. Yeah, but I think that yeah, there's and still... it was an older it was an older power plant. That was a dodgy story because, in general, that was a horrible tragedy, and people, many people were affected and still affected to this day. In general, nuclear power is not only far less is far less prone to disasters, yeah. and even on a day to day basis, coal, our friend that we were discussing mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show, is even more produces more radiation on a day to day basis. Mm. More radioactive oh, really? materials end up in the atmosphere because of coal power stations. Wow! Because there's natural naturally radioactive uh, atoms in coal that then get released in the coal dust in the smoke. Oh. So, in general, nuclear power, relatively safe, mm-hmm. highly, clean. highly clean for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, except for that, you know, radioactive except water. It it's the water, right? You have to deal with the yeah. 
the radioactive water. But can't you just keep using the radioactive water or do you have to get rid of it? I am not sure about exactly the process. I. But yeah, I thought it was sort of the like turns out of, of nuclear power that is the unconventional, the same way that, um, you know, even people like Bill Nye are pro GMO. It's a thing that everyone thinks they should be against, but then like, well, if you actually take a look at it, uh, Statistically, it's a better thing for the world, even though it seems like it's bad. Can we put the nuclear power plants in space? Maybe. Because wouldn't that kind of take the risk away, since there's already radiation floating around all over space? I've got a way that we could take the risk away, thanks to an article sent in by Justin Broad indirectly. Um, DNA repair discovery could lead to drugs to reverse aging, fight cancer, and help space travel. Well. We'll get yeah. to how this is, this is related. This Let's is related. tie that in. Uh, drug to reverse aging and treat cancer may be a step closer after a team of scientists identified a critical step in how cells repair damaged DNA. Their discovery could help survivors of childhood cancers and help NASA get astronauts to Mars. So for most of the 20th century, we knew that our cells' ability to repair DNA gets worse over time, and we get old, and it's the main reason we get cancer. Harvard professor uh, David Sinclair said, so what we've discovered is the reason why. They published this in the journal Science, and the team identified how a vitamin called NAD plus was regulating the interactions that control DNA repair. The scientists said experiments showed that when mice were given an NAD plus booster called NMN, their cells were better at repairing DNA damage caused by radiation exposure and aging. Hmm. We took old mice that were 20 months old, which is the equivalent to a 60 or 70 year old human, and gave them NMN, and we found that many aspects of aging were reversed. Hmm. Their DNA repair activities went up to youthful levels, and they were more resistant to radiation, and should therefore be more protected against cancer and aging itself. Maybe that'll help with space travel, too. That's what they're saying, yeah, because uh, the problem with space travel, one of the many problems, um, is the two-year journey you'd have to take to get to Mars would expose uh, astronauts to significant levels of cosmic radiation, and um, like they estimate that a trip to Mars... Uh, 5% of an astronaut's cells would die and they would have an almost 100% chance of getting cancer. Yeah. Well, and then the other, the problem wasn't part of one of the problems with like how you prevent that radiation. Like they really, that's one of the biggest problems with going to Mars. They don't actually yeah, know how to prevent to line, that radiation. They're talking about like lining the the ship with human, with the astronaut's own waste to help yeah. shield. And, there was talk, I mean, they the said water like they water, would right? Yeah, there was yeah. water, but then even like water, it, to get that much water into space is... Is expensive, but they um, well, unless you found water that was already in space, and they were also looking at technologies that involving launching from space stations that are already in space, right? Because that requires far less power and right. far less weight. So if there is a way that you can sort of take the water and things like that up in stages, yeah, and yeah. then you launch from space or then you launch on the longer mission from space already. So they're talking about things like that. But arguably better is to make yourself impervious to the effects of radiation. Yeah, yeah. And then you could just be like, yeah, zap me up. I don't fucking care. Uh, just great. doubling back for a second because I don't think I fi- we finished. Oh, the- sorry, sorry. Well, no, it's just all right. But just just the the point of this experiment, the uh, sun experiment is to eventually use real sunlight rather than this artificial light to produce the hydrogen. Oh. Because uh, the experiment costs $5 million to build and requires as much electricity in four hours as a normal household would use in a year. Hmm. But uh, this will eventually, hopefully, develop the technology to use just general sunlight to make hydrogen. Hmm. Cool. And also, once you've got the hydrogen... Well, hydrogen is very volatile, which is a problem. But combining it with carbon monoxide produced from renewable sources... Scientists could, for example, be able to make eco-friendly kerosene. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Eco-friendly kerosene. How would the... I don't, I don't, How is, is, is kerosene well not eco-friendly? Uh, 
Does it just not burn well? I guess it probably doesn't. Well, burn the, as the point. As it could. I, well, the point of it. So, kero- well, kero- well, kerosene. Once you've got kerosene, it's kerosene in general. Like you've, it will burn identical to ker- it's taught the eco-friendly part is how it's produced oh, oh i see okay, so rather okay. than coming from oil that's buried under the ground and means oh. fractionally distillated you're producing kerosene from existing carbon monoxide and oh. hydrogen that you've developed through this process and then you have something that burns and that will release carbon that will release co2 into the atmosphere but at least you're not but it's you're releasing using a, co- you're making it from a renewable resource exactly you're releasing you're releasing carbon into the atmosphere from by burning something that was made from carbon that was already in the atmosphere. Right, right. So you are yeah. generally pr- putting less carbon into the world. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a carbon negative reaction, right? Uh, yeah, or it, it's sort of ca- this. This process will be carbon neutral. Carbon neutral. That's the yeah. That or at least reduce. You're not based right now when when you're bought, making any kind of transport that uses oil based things. You're taking carbon that is safely stored in the ground or in organic matter that's growing from the ground mm-hmm. and then you're burning it and converting it into co2 that's floating around in the air but mm-hmm. this process would be able to take carbon that is in the air convert it into something that's burnable and then put it back hmm. right oh that's interesting half, halfway there to being perfect um oh yeah and then to circle back and finishing the the anti-aging thing so human trials of this NMN therapy, that anti-aging therapy, will start in Boston in the next six months. So we got six months till we stop aging, mm-hmm. impervious to radiation. Seven years after the, six, six and a half years after that. Here's a question: Do boobs. we want people from Boston to never age? <laughs> Boston. This is, a, this is a risk. Sully and I have been covering this bar for three hundred yeah. years. <laughs> uh, they said they should get, uh, they should be able to go into the next studies, which they're hoping to do in the US and Australia and then we really get serious Professor Sinclair said we start looking at how fast people can walk how strong they are and then eventually want to get this molecule on the market as a drug to treat a disease like cancer Alzheimer's or diabetes hmm. so I mean stopping aging that's a pretty well has it I mean there's been a lot of like philosophy almost about this in the last few years right I'm, I'm sure yeah. y'all have talked about this along the way the idea that like if we could actually stop aging and like some guy a few years ago said that he thinks the first 1000 year old man is already alive. Well, see, it depends on the definition of alive. Cause I don't know that They're like he have... has already been born. No, but I mean like uh, he is alive, but I mean, he, if he lives to be a thousand, will that mean his actual like physical self will survive a thousand years or that his consciousness could be offloaded and kept right. going? Cause I feel like that's going to happen faster than we're going to st- stop these biological processes perfectly. Um, and even if you could stop all these things, if you got to a point that you would, you could be locked in at the age you are now, you still, if you're alive long enough, like your risk of dying accidentally just goes up. So right, at a certain right. point, wouldn't you, if you had the option, maybe wouldn't you be like, yeah, offline me or like at least back up my consciousness. Back up my consciousness. Hey, you know, know what does cause cancer? <laughs> That's a great segue. <laughs> I don't know. And <laughs> we've already been discussing it. The sun, uh, it's just a brief. <laughs> Brief visit to Corrections Corner, or at least Comments Corner, because Slip Slop Slap, which got a mention in the last episode, the Australian yeah. anti-skin cancer campaign, is became slips, which uh, which was slip on a shirt, slop on the sunscreen, slap on a hat. Then they added slide on some sunnies, sunglasses. Oh, God. Oh. And then they added seek uh, shade or shelter. So now it's slip, slop, slap, 
Seek Slide. And they said it all to the tune of Axel F. And yeah. It went <laughs> <to his> <laughs> but we got numerous Australians writing in to tell us about the extra... Fellow with extra letters being added to the... When I was growing up, it was just SSS, and you know where you stood with them. Yeah. Not one of these SSSSSSs. It was one of the good ones, though. Yeah, I'm good with it. Whatever they get up to, I'm fine with it. I just don't want it all in my face. <laughs> we also got a sort of correction from a listener named Aaron who wanted to write in... We talked about how gluten-free diets are not only, for the most part, bullshit, but can actually be dangerous to your health. Um, and she wanted to point out that it's not just celiacs that have to avoid gluten. She's been diagnosed with IBS medically with several very uncomfortable tests. Jesse will know what, what she means. And um, she's done the avoidance diets with her nutritionist. It was definitely wheat and gluten with several other things that caused her severe GI flare-ups. So she just wants us to know that they're not all hipster douchebags who are avoiding gluten. So I, I didn't mean to imply everyone who doesn't eat gluten is yeah. a piece of shit. But, <laughs> but I think we were inaccurate. Well, the article we read was inaccurate in that there are gluten intolerant people who aren't... Uh, yeah. Celiacs. There are other causes of glu- there are other. They're still very rare, but yes. but they do exist. And Aaron did also say that we are right in saying that the vast, the large number of fake gluten intolerances have at least made it easier in terms of the option for for those that really do suffer. Yeah. From yeah. It. However, uh, she writes, uh, I read my gluten free labels very carefully because I've already no- I've always noticed that many GF products are much higher in salt, sugar, and fat in order to make them palatable. Uh, if you read labels and shop carefully, you can get high-fiber gluten-free that is not total garbage. Plus, I do a lot of my own cooking. So that was, I think, what the story we covered last week was that people, there is a correlation that's been noticed between gluten-free diets and an increased risk of type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And it's possibly because <laughs> of the unhealthiness and lack of fiber in the average gluten-free meal. All right. Have you ever tried any restrictive diets? I haven't. You know, I didn't. No. I don't know. I just. I don't know. No, I don't. You don't have to apologize for it. I was just curious if you. No, I. I. I was vegetarian for a couple of years. I never. I've it's done. Fantastic. I've done like a trial. Like I went a week once without eating meat, and I mean it was fine. But I don't. I don't know that I feel like a com- compulsion to not eat certain. I also do kind of think it's a lot of marketing. A lot of trying to get people to buy certain things and yeah yeah i don't know yeah i wonder how the gluten i mean i guess i kind of bought into the whole paleo thing like i've cut out a lot of carbs like you know and eating a lot of meat and vegetables and now you have a good chance of living to the same lifespan as a caveman yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what i think of yeah he's over 30 years old he's still going strong (laughs) i'll make it uh, how, uh, but so do you, when you swim, like, I don't do any of that, but do you do like, do you carb load ever where you feel like you need to eat a lot of bread or spaghetti or you're doing anything intense like that? They used to, that was a, th- I feel like that was a thing in the nineties. People thought for a minute and like sometimes before meets in high school, we would have like spaghetti dinners at someone's house and the team. But like at that age, you could just eat whatever. You're just, you yeah. have enough calories. Your body is just like, yeah. needs fucking calories. Yeah. The only thing that, I mean, when we were swimming twice a day in college, it was just a matter of having to eat a ton, but none of us cared what it was. We just like yeah. stuffed ourselves. At the I mean, that's like Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte. They like, yeah, 
who's now on your hey, swim team. Thank you for the segue. <laughs> the plug and plug. And outside for swim corner, Matt, you can walk out of the room if you want. <laughs> All right, here we go. Who's, joined your, who's joined your team this week, Gandhi? This is kind of cool. Uh, it is kind of cool. I will give you that. It's, it's surprising. Definitely cool. It's very surprising. I just finally signed up. The cutoff for the Masters National Championships is tonight, so I signed up last night, and then I looked on the roster for our team and saw that we had an addition in the form of Ryan Lochte is going to be my That's fucking so team. Crazy. That's so crazy. That's so cool. Next month. Yeah. It's, I told my mom that, and she was like, oh. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know about that douchebag thing he did. Yeah. But like, I mean, the people of Brazil also, don't really care for him, but... I mean, yes, he's a silly man, but uh, if Phelps weren't around, he'd be the greatest swimmer of all time. He's the second greatest swimmer of all time. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so that'll be interesting. That'll be fun. Is yeah. Phelps done now? Is he? Uh, who knows? He said he is, but he's, I think they're the same age, in which case they could totally come back and have a shot in 2020 yeah. with, if recent trends are any indication, like being in your mid thirties doesn't mean. Well, I was reading about his, like he's had to change his like workout like regime over time just to like like adjust for how he's aging right yeah i'm sure like it feels weird yeah my body doesn't recover like it used to it's uh yeah aging sucks i wish these fucking nmn trials would speed up i know we're bringing it back so how does it work would you be actually in the pool with him or i mean the chances of me being the same heat because you put in the time you think you're going to swim, and then they just seed all the heats according to those times so that the last heat is the fastest people. So mm. I could have lied and said I'm going to do like a 45-second 100 free, and I would have been in the final heat probably, but then I would... Be humiliated. Right. So you <laughs> want to put an accurate time. So I doubt I'm going to be in the same heat as any. But he's going to win everything, right? Oh, he's going to break every Masters record ever set. Yeah. Like Nathan Adrian's at the meet also, who's, who is the current American record mm. holder in the 50 free. He took silver behind Anthony Irvin. He has gold medals. He's only like 28. So he's going to break every record and everything he swims also. So there's like two guys who are still in, the, in their prime and still two of the greatest swimmers alive who are going to be at that meet. Hmm. And then there's guys, like there's guys on my team who are training for the next Olympic. Yeah, it'll be the fastest swimming I've ever seen in person. And I think they, they sell tickets for it, for oh, this well. thing. Yeah, so I bet there'll be... Should we go? Was, I'll go make uh, go Andy posters. If for it you. was free, I would say to come, but I don't know if you should. Where, pay. where, and when is this? Oh, uh, this is Riverside, California, the last weekend in April. Last weekend of April, Riverside, California. The Riverside Aquatics. Complex. Is that the last thing you're? Are you basically flying up to Portland the next day for Bridgetown? I either driving or flying. Yeah, because the festival starts two days later. It's going to be. Oh, that's bananas. Yeah. How uh, how far is the drive to Portland from LA? It's a thousand miles. Oh wow. So like two days. I should stop. No, I do it in one day, but I should stop doing that because I'm too old. How far is it to Austin from here? I don't know. I'd always do it in two days. It's like 20 That's got to be more than a thousand miles, right? I think so. Yeah, I think I've never gotten below 13 hours for the drive, but I think I've gotten close. I was surprised that I drove to San Francisco and I guess I never put together that it's really only five hours from L.A. Yeah, five to six, depending on. Well, I think it's is it, it's 400 miles, I think, but you can go really fast on the five I guess. Is it even? Yeah. Okay. LA to <laughs> Austin is, it, it's substantially further. Sorry, L, uh, LA. Do you want 1800 miles? No. Okay. Maybe not substantial. Oh. What was, what was Portland again? 965. Okay. I think. So Portland, yeah. Portland is 960, 965. And Austin is 
1377 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. cuz it's almost I'm like you could almost like it's 20 hours I could almost just drive all the way through but it's it's rough that's brutal but like 15 hours says google maps for portland that's yeah, a lot too I beat though. that every time really fuck that yeah are the roads bad up there or like are they once you get north of san francisco is it pretty like smooth sailing or does it do you ever hit traffic um, uh, I, I don't usually. <laughs> this is just called the traffic, traffic the like driving podcast. Once you get out of the LA area, you're fine. It's yeah. just getting out, getting up through the grapevine area. This is the goddamn. It started off with ringtones, and now I'm talking about driving. <laughs> <laughs> it's hey. me. I'm like the oh, no, no. Uh, Hey, we got a couple. One more correction or one more comment, and while we're still vaguely circling around corrections corner, from Heidi from Montana, sending two emails. Uh, one of them in reference to the koozie discussion. Apparently, it comes from combining the words cooler and cozy. Oh. Keep your beer cool so you can stay cozy. Okay. So Heidi, who is from of German descent, bringing this full circle. Um, and and also has some strep throat comments and uh, consistently kept getting strep throat coming back. Loads of really strong antibiotics, which wouldn't work, including something called Levoquin, which is used to treat anthrax. Oh. Uh, and... She didn't take them every day at the same time. The swelling would begin almost immediately. They ultimately had me come in two weeks early for my surgery because I was so sick. This is surgery to have tonsils out. Um, of course, I didn't realize how sick I was. Otherwise, I would, wouldn't have waited. They took the tonsils, adenoids, and some scar tissue that went pretty far down down her throat. Uh, tonsil surgery can be risky as an adult because they use cautrium. With a wound that large, bleeding can be very fast. You have to be careful. Despite that, I woke up from surgery feeling much better and hardly ever get sick now. It also changed the sound of my voice, which is kind of weird. Oh, that was eight years ago, and I can count the number of times I've been sick since then. The only side effect I've experienced afterwards of the normal post-operative pain was the loss of efficiency of my birth control from the 30 days of antibiotics I had to take after surgery. That resulted in the conception of my son, <laughs> who is now seven, That's funny. <laughs> and Holy says shit. that... Uh, he has a talent for telling jokes and performing any advice. And they are, I guess the advice is, that doesn't sound like... Uh, he probably will not be a comedian then. <laughs> I, I think I think a kid that has a talent for, for telling jokes and performing at the age of seven... He's probably going to find a better way to use those skills. Yeah. Yeah. Almost certainly. He'll be a yeah. <laughs> CEO. He'll be yeah. a charismatic <laughs> boss rather right. than... Yeah. <laughs> Like the, run for Congress, something. Your other kid, the one who's being weird in the corner with some mud, that's your comic. <laughs> that's, yeah. your, that's your stand-up. Yeah, that's the, the one that doesn't know how to relate to anybody <laughs> in the corner. The one that's like burning things. <laughs> yeah. The idea of someone pushing their kid into stand-up, though, like a stage mother for stand-up comedy. <laughs> Come on, go give them your best dick jokes, Johnny. <laughs> Don't make the mistakes I did. You're going to be a comedian. Uh, Heidi continues to say, anyway, my doctor explained that the shape of things in my throat made it very easy for bacteria to build up in the little nooks and crannies and cause lots of recurring issues like what happened to me for 10 years and what your guest described as I listened to him explain his situation I thought more and more his story sounds just like mine so the advice I want to offer him and I hope you'll pass along is that he should have his tonsils and adenoids removed what was wait what was his problem who was the guest what was his uh, Dominic Harris I think it was Dominic Harris it was the, issue, the episode with Brian Olson and Dominic Harris and I believe it was Dominic who said I'm doubling back to the beginning of the letter that she wrote in one of them was talking about his strep issues and everything else. Hmm. Same thing happened to me from the age of 12 until 22. I would get some kind of sinus respiratory or strep-like infection almost monthly. I would get sick and it took weeks to get better. And a few weeks after I recovered, I would be sick again. Hmm. Uh, 
could that also be related to like a deviated septum and you get like that's what I think I think I have that and it's like I get like I sinus was, infections and then they turn into full blown colds I thought that was the made up thing everyone excuse, does is their excuse for, for, a, for a nose, nose job, job. <laughs> yeah I don't know I think I actually do have one does but it just mean that it's not that's not perfectly down the center of your face is that all it means no it doesn't even mean that it just means like the, the cavities that are in your nose like if you've broken your nose like it constricts the airway so you have to like and I think they actually say like Nordic peoples have that bump in their nose because that airway actually is it's it makes it longer so the air heats up more oh. so people from colder climates have the bump in there I don't That's know if, I have this yeah. I don't know if I believe that because I, I have a bump and I still I, my breathing but then I'm shit. sure that can also be caused by but I yeah I have like a I've always had nasal issues my whole life like sinuses and then it's like since I've been taking Flonase I don't get colds as much but I take Flonase every day Really? Yeah, every day. You know the spray. What's the, what's it prescribed for specifically? It's it used to be prescription only, but now you can get it over the counter. But it's just allergy medication. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a steroid and decongestant. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, we'll publish links to all of those stories on probablyscience.com. You know what else you can find at probablyscience.com? What? You can find a donation button. Oh. Mm. Being used this week. Monthly donations have come in from Paul Freeland, uh, John Clarici. Uh, new new setup donation there. Thanks, John. Uh, Caroline Laco, thank you very much. Liam Magia. Uh, have, do I have pronounced that right? I always get it wrong. Peter Lipsy and Lipsy. Emma. Lipsy. That's the one I get wrong. <laughs> and Emma Wilton. Uh, oh, and Destruction Lane. Of course, Destruction Lane. And then another... Uh, uh, um, uh, Simon Martindale thrown in some money for me saying Twitter hitting the T hard uh, at, at acting as if I was kind of genuinely like apparently I, I, w- I used the same fuck you to him <laughs> for criticizing my pronunciation as I do for anti-vaxxers and that's because I, I do think you're just as bad a person Simon you're a you're a bad I, I guess this is the way it works every time we criticize him he c- feels guilty and sends him more money <laughs> fuck you yeah, Simon worst fuck Absolute you worst uh, <laughs> I hate that dude. God. I do gotta. I Damn have it. to say, I generally enjoy podcasts with British people on them more because it sounds more pleasant to me. Oh, it, it, but it, it, oh, Simon does want us to say it's definitely not for donating money to to us. Uh, it's not for do- what's oh, I've just given. I've just fucked it. I didn't read the beginning bit. When you thank me, you could say it's definitely not for donating money to you. Uh, thank him for something else. Since his wife got upset when he heard oh he shit, money he's, not, he's spending his wife's money. Oh shit. Uh, I should have read that at the beginning. Oh, I'm uh, not going to edit this. That's too. Sh- no, it's just going to go straight out. She, wait, <laughs> to be fair, if she listens to the episode also and gets this far in, she should be chipping in money too. She's yeah. got free entertainment. <laughs> All right, she, Simon's wife, chill out. Said it giving away money, money for free. It's not for f- something for free. It's optionally free. We give it away for free for people who aren't able to support the show or maybe Alan's is invested yet in the show. But I think yeah. once you reach a certain level, then if you're listening to an hour into an episode this bad. You should be no I'm <laughs> <laughs> It was great. With our great. worst guest, no. MK Paulson. God, really, Not only is he bad, he's also fat. No. Oh, I'm purely talking about my own drive corner, swim corner. I think this has corner. been the best episode the I've best. ever it listened to. But, but in the meantime, uh, Simon's wife. Fuck you, Simon's oh. wife. Fuck you. You're as bad as an anti vaxxer. <laughs> worse, worse. <laughs> oh. uh, Simon, I apologize for blowing your cover and clumsily doing that. We could have edited it out, but we won't. Yeah. Thank you, Simon. You're great. We love yes. you. Thank you, Simon's <laughs> wife, for 
Being married to Simon. You guys are the best. You're like tits on Nazis. <laughs> they would have won the war. I mean, they would have won the war if they. I like that as a. You're like this dude is the tits on Nazis. <laughs> is that good or bad? I don't know. I can't remember what it was about. I haven't passed it yet. Mm. Or is it a thing you're ashamed that you enjoy? Like, is it like like when you watch like Glee or something? This show is it's like tits on Nazis, you know? (laughs) Oh, that makes yeah, I get that. Uh, Email us or tweet us probablyscience at gmail.com or at probablyscience if you have a take on what tits on Nazis should accurately describe. It's got to be a guilty pleasure. I mean, to be fair, there had to have been, I mean, there were women oh, in the third. There were, the, there were definitely Nazis with tits. Yeah. There were gorgeous I know. Talk about Nazis. There must have been. Uh, what is it? Um, the, the woman that like murdered all of her children in the bunker? She probably... No, oh, I don't know. know who that is. Uh, Magda Goebbels. Magda Goebbels. Was it... Um, Goebbels. Goebbels. The, Goebbels. She was the wife of the, yeah. the propagandist? Yeah, and she was also like Joseph. leader of the Third Rex Fashion Institute. Talk about a glamour Nazi. All right. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm a... That's a joke I do on stage. <laughs> That's a joke I've tried to make work, but has never worked on stage. So I'm just going to throw Berlin. it in here into this podcast. In Berlin? Yeah. <laughs> no, I never did it in Berlin. I did it and I just thought it would be fun to say glamour Nazi. I imagine the Germans don't have much of a, a taste for Nazi jokes. Is that you true? Know they, but I, I think that they do. I don't. They, I mean, they. You kind of have to, right? Well, like, I just feel like our our generation. It would Germans be like us ha- not doing slavery, like material we've, about slavery. We've or, had enough distance. I feel like Germans of our generation are, still have this collective guilt that they're like. I mean, isn't Germany in general trying to do so many things? Yeah, still, I mean, like, I mean, letting to be honest, though, like to try to make the, up. Uh, they're the. Know, people of the world that have owned it so much right. that have taught everybody I mean owned it to a point of like self hate self-loathing about yeah. it and not like wanting to make And there is I mean there's kind of the like the argument in Germany it's like we need to move on from this but you know and and German politics is very different than American politics now it's very like you know, pretty even kill. They don't let their emotions get the best of them and they yeah. I mean they just change anyway. But um yeah, there is, especially amongst the young people, that like, should we just move on? This is this wasn't us. This was yeah, not even our grandparents. At like, this it's point. Ac- isn't it actually illegal to like goose step and? Uh, I mean, you can't have. Well, what's really arms. interesting to me, you can't like have the swastika anywhere, really. And I, I don't know about goose stepping, but that, that wouldn't make sense. But in written in their constitution, they have a thing. They have an article that essentially says you cannot uh, support like. It's an article that says you cannot do anything that doesn't support the Constitution. You cannot do any... Like, you could not do anything... Like, you could not... You really can't say anything that goes against saying... So, it's kind of like this almost, like, weird, backward freedom of speech, question mark. I don't know. I don't quite get that. I don't remember... Let me see... Is it like a self-referential segment of the Constitution that says you can't do anything that violates this statement? It basically like, says you can't do anything that undermines the authority of the German constitution. That's like the yeah. sort of first four of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Like, Which is what? They're all bullshit. Like, for the first four of the Ten Commandments, just like, I wrote this, listen to me. Oh, that's right. Uh, like no here, one else wrote this. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah. Commandments number two. Get Some ready for number three. Oh, this <laughs> commandment's going to come through and you are going to be so up for obeying it. <laughs> Because this is definitely my commandment right now. What is the third amendment of the Ten Commandments? The one that's like, how did that one leap to the top ten? The one about not having to let troops like crash at your place? Oh yeah, quartering? Yeah, the, you can't the, quarter the... That's number three? What? 
All right. It's like freedom, freedom, speech, religion, press. That one was guns, added. And then like, you don't have to, like, you can't, you can't be forced to be an Airbnb. <laughs> it was just added by a sleepy soldier. Right, yeah. These dudes keep crashing up my couches. Yeah, all, all of the first... And the fourth one's due process. Like the, 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 the rest of them are reasonable to be top ten, I think. Isn't the fourth one? What is the fourth one? Well, the, the, basically, the, the first half of them, it, like the first half are positive and then the, the, back, the back half are negative. Of amendments or commandments? Commandments. Oh, okay. Um... Let me find... Because there's also dispute over the numbering of them. Some of them are grouped, like... Some of them are grouped differently. But... Um, yeah, the first, like... The first five are basically just reinforcing the meme. The meme? Yeah, it's basically propagating the meme. Like, it's ba- like the first five are essentially things to keep the Ten Commandments alive. So they are like, I am the Lord thy God... Um, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any craven image. Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord God in vain. Remember the, remember the s- Sabbath day and keep it holy. Yeah, they're all like re- self-referential until... Yeah, and, and then the fifth one is honor thy father and mother, which basically means listen to your elders who are passing this information down and believe it. So it's all basically... Establishing... I am God... Don't listen to any of the others. Uh, believe the person who's older than you when they tell you this thing that I'm telling you right now. Oh, yeah. It's just all built-in reproducibility, so, re- reproductibility. So then the five that aren't that are just don't, no adultery, murder. It goes, uh, it goes kill, adultery, <clears throat> steal, bear false witness against thy neighbor, and then covered. Which is the one that oh, and it was never quite clear. That's it's not, is it supposed to mean don't be jealous of anything at all? That someone else has, kind of, or is it supposed to be a sexual thing, or um, is it just be like be, you, be 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 grateful with what you have and don't? Uh, you should not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, or his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So it's sort of um, be cool with what you got. Yeah, it says uh, unlike the other commandments, which focus on outward actions, this commandment focuses on thought. It's an imperative against setting one's desires on things that are forbidden. Seems like a reasonable, like, also, like, sort of a self-care thing. Like, don't spend your time thinking about shit you don't have. Yeah. This has been Bible Corner, guys. Bible Corner. We've gone way off topic. (laughs) Really? Hey, while we're talking about things like human behaviors, I want to do this as a final story. Sure. Chimp filmed cleaning a corpse's teeth in a mortuary-like ritual. What? How did I miss this? So the top of uh, of the document... For the first time, a chimpanzee has been observed using tools to clean the corpse of a deceased group member. This behavior could shed light on the evolutionary origins of human mortuary practices. Oh, like that's... a chimp mortuary. I'm picturing, like, a chimp mortician over a human cadaver. <laughs> like, who let him in there? What? <laughs> I thought they were trying to, like, find a way to, like, make humans unnecessary in mortuaries. Like, a chimp <laughs> could be trained to prepare a <laughs> for an open casket funeral. Like, this a chimp's, your... like, straightening a bow tie on this guy. This is your grandma. Yeah. Now, send in the monkeys! <laughs> <laughs> just, it's kind of delightful the picture I have in my head. Oh my God. <laughs> just oh, they got a bit out of hand there. Just some <laughs> aggressive chimps ripping apart granny. <laughs> oh my God! Oh I've my been God. trying to find this picture. German constitution uh, 
something about that that says that the German Constitution can't anyway. Don't fuck with us? Yeah. Uh, Constitutionally? I couldn't find it. A female chimpanzee named Noel <laughs> at the Chimfushi okay. Wildlife Orphanage Trust in, Zam- in Zambia sat down by the dead body of a young male, Thomas, whom she had previously adopted. Aww. She then selected a firm stem of grass and started to intently remove debris from his teeth. Hmm. He continued doing this even after the rest of the group had left the corpse. Or she considered you rather. A team of scientists from the University of St. Andrews who observed the behavior think this could mean that the long-lasting social bonds that chimpanzees form continue to influence their behavior even after their bonding partner has died. The report is important because it indicates once more that the human species is not the only one capable of compassion, says Edwin Van Leeuwen, lead author of the study. It appears that chimps, like humans, just treat deceased members of their own species sensitively rather than treating them like inanimate objects, especially when the deceased is a close associate. This is certainly an interesting and noteworthy observation. Another case of chimpanzees showing unusual behavior in the presence of deceased group members, says Klaus Zuberbula, also at St. Andrews, who wasn't involved in the study. We have seen similar behavior in a wild group of chimps in Budongo Forest, Uganda, where individuals groomed an adult female who had just been killed for an extended period of time. Um, I should point out that there was a comma there. Groomed an individual female who had just been killed for an extended period of time. She wasn't like she her wasn't death killed was right, right. Out like she was really, <laughs> yeah, really bloody. Horrible Poor. story. Hmm. The behavior Those could chimps. <laughs> yeah, the behavior could also sh- show us that chips are curious about death and mortality. The team thinks this could tell us about some something about how human mortuary rituals began. However, Zuberbula cautions it is near impossible to draw any meaningful conclusions about underlying mental processes or awarenesses from this kind of observation. Perhaps such social behavior is a manifestation of human-like mourning. Perhaps the chimpanzees are just challenged by the fact that a group member has suddenly become completely motionless. Uh, yeah, in the video underneath, in this article, it also talks about how or the captions mentioned that um, apparently mourning has, uh, or apparent mourning has been observed in, in gorillas, elephants, dolphins, and mm-hmm. magpies. Yeah, someone from the University of Geneva says, we simply don't know if and how much chimps understand about death. In other words, it's unclear whether this is corpse cleaning or simply social cleaning, but it certainly adds on behavioral descriptions of unusual behavior displayed by chimps when they face the death of one of their species. Yeah, it shows a bunch of the chimps surrounding the dead one and just trying to figure out what's happening initially, and then one of them looks like he gets frustrated and violent and just like slaps it in the stomach, which could be uh, one of the stages of, of chimp grief. I don't know how that works, mm-hmm. but then, then eventually everyone else leaves, but the adopted mother sticks around with the body and uh, does that cleaning. Oh, it really is. Oh, that's really sad. I don't know. It's kind well, of I'm or, or cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But if you want to hear more about death, you could double back to our episode from a year and a half ago with Caitlin Doughty. Mm-hmm. Author of she's a she's a hum, she's a non chimp mortician. Yeah, mortician. she's one of those rare humans yes. who are still in the business. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever talked to Peggy O'Leary? She grew up in a in a she grew up in a um Mort- mortuary morgue. Yeah, really? her, in her house, I guess, was a morgue. So she has a very interesting perspective on death. I she has not been on the show. We should get her on. Yeah, she's um she's fun. I like she's her still a lot. In Bridgetown, I believe. I forgot if she's in the lineup this year or not. She just moved to L.A. Gotta get her Brilliant. on. Peggy, for listening, hit, hit us up. Um, hey, uh, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work and your gigs? Oh, uh, well, uh, my Twitter is probably the best way. 
uh, at MK Paulson. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N. You can also check out my website, but it is actually, needs. I need to renew it right now, but it's mkpaulson.com. Nice. It's S-E-N. Yeah. When is this going out? Uh, it Pro- might be later tonight. Probably tonight. Can, I'm doing a show here in L.A. on Thursday, March 30th, called Compliments to the Chef with my dear friend Steph Tolev at the awesome. Lyric Hyperion. If anybody wants to come, that'd be great. Very it's free. Cool. It'll be an awesome show. Brooks Whelan's going to be on it. Oh, nice. Uh, Jenny Zagrino, Solomon Giorgio, and Simon Gibson, and myself and Steph. That is some very funny yeah. people. Yeah, it'll and be a And in a very show. nice venue. Yeah, it'll be great. You can find us at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival right. in less than a month now. And I think later this week we'll have uh, a really cool additional show to announce. Uh, not us, this podcast, but uh, Bridgetown, the festival. So uh, go to BridgetownComedy.com for info. And you can get passes right now to the whole weekend. I was wrong. It's just over a month. Uh, you looked panicked for a second. Oh, no. I was just trying to think about whether this thing I was talking about is definitely going to be on the site soon. Um, yeah, it's, it's four or five, five weeks from... This coming weekend, I believe. You can also find me in the movie Punching Henry. Oh, yeah. Available. Oh, you, you were in it. That's uh, so cool. I it saw was... it at South By, I think, oh, a yeah. year and a half ago. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Cause it was when they even, I think it was before they did editing after that. Yeah. They, 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 that? It's changed a bit since then because I saw a screening around that same time and it has, they made a few changes, I think, for the better. But uh, even still then, it was really fun. That's so cool. Congratulations. That's exciting. Well, thanks. That's available on iTunes and Amazon and various other things like that. By the way, Matt, I just noticed this. I don't know why I didn't ask before, but I see that you've got a half-greaked-out Apple uh, logo on on your laptop screen. Was that for the shoot yesterday? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what that was for. But it's only two strips of tape that only half obscures. It's clearly an an Apple. It's very clearly an Apple thing. There was a vague possibility... With the thing we worked on, it was a pilot, which probably won't be aired anyway, because quite off. Because as a general rule, normally if they like a show, they'll reshoot the pilot. But they were like, we want to make sure it can be aired if necessary. Yeah. And because I was in the background of some of the scenes and working on my laptop because I was writing on it, I very quickly, <laughs> when a camera came near me, shoved some tape over the. It's, the most <laughs> it's very obviously still an apple. It's still. <laughs> you can still see the outline in the tape. I love it. It's clearly that, but I figure that would be enough just to sort of vaguely. But it looks like you're trying to make some sort of statement too. Is I, what I, I, ke- I kept sure. looking at, and I'm like. Yeah, it seems a little protesty, or maybe I thought it was like a less than sign. Yeah. From yeah. Or something. But you think that's a problem? That's not a problem. But the or you think that the constant references to Spearmint Rhino in that one section of the taping? I was like, that can't be on TV, can it? I don't know. I don't, who knows? <laughs> who knows? There were some very funny people being very funny, and yeah. I'm not sure how much we can discuss about I it. Can just, I can say Spearmint Rhino. I'm not going to. You get can say Spearmint Rhino. Yeah, yes, you can. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun thing to work on. Yes, that Andy and I were both writing on over the week. I will not ruin it. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> there. Um, yeah, I think. I, I I can't think whether there are any other exciting gigs to be plugging. They're the main things. They're the main exciting things. As always, you can find us at probablyscience.com. That's where our donation button and also our Amazon shopping link if you're buying anything through Amazon, such as the uh, fantastic new comedy film Punching Henry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go through our link first. We get a little kickback. It costs you no extra. And uh, if you're not able to donate or you're not shopping through Amazon, the other way that you can help us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends. Subscribe if you're not already subscribing. Write nice things about us on your podcast collator of choice. No, just do iTunes specifically. Write good things. Specifically iTunes. But also I think I think some of the others 
have comment sections too. Yeah. But thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was so great. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.